Hello and welcome to Immigrantly, a podcast that delves into the tapestry of shared human experiences. I am Sadia Khan, your host and producer. Before we dive into today's conversation, let me ask you this. Are you paying attention? <laughs> How familiar are you with the partition of India in 1947? My educated guess is that many of you may not be acquainted with its full gravity and extent. So here are some quick facts. The 1947 partition was one of the most colossal migrations in recorded history, leaving behind a devastating toll. Over 2 million lives were lost, 75,000 women suffered unimaginable acts of violence. through rape and abduction and a staggering 14 million individuals were forcibly uprooted from their homes these numbers paint a haunting picture of the immense human tragedy that unfolded during that time growing up in pakistan my early education gave me a glimpse into the partition's narrative however the focus of this narrative centered on why muslims sought a separate homeland a place where they could practice their faith freely without fear of persecution from the hindu majority This perspective underscored the necessity for the division of India, a matter of survival for Muslims in the subcontinent. For me, entertaining alternative scenarios seemed both problematic and almost treacherous. Now, it is important to clarify that my parents' families resided on the side of what is today Pakistan before the partition. For them, The horrors associated with this historical event were not as personal. Although the separation occurred, it did not directly impact their immediate loved ones. At least that's what I've thought. I sometimes wonder whether this sense of detachment has been passed down through generations shaping my perspective. despite being well aware of the widespread bloodshed and displacement that unfolded i struggled to question the notion of division itself however our today's guest has taken a more nuanced approach to understanding the partition and unearthing the intricate layers of complex truths surrounding it i am so excited to speak with Neha Aziz a writer creative podcaster and budding filmmaker she's written pieces in publications like Medium and served as a program consultant at the Cleveland International Film Festival Neha hosts her podcast Partition which explores individual stories that bring light to moments many don't know about during the historic partition between India and Pakistan She is most recently working on a new short film called So That Happened which is in production right now. I am so excited to sit down with Neha and explore a lot of things from her podcast to her new production. So, let's get started. How are you doing Neha? I'm good. How are you? I am good. So you're based in Austin, Texas. How's the weather? Uh right now it is 86, so oh, not too wow. terrible. Uh <laughs> but it is probably going to get to like 103 soon. <laughs> I am pretty sure. You know, I grew up in Pakistan and sometimes I really feel like I shouldn't feel as hot or i mm-hmm. shouldn't feel the heat 
But <laughs> I've lived in the U.S. for almost 20 years now. And even in New York, when the temperature crosses 90, I don't enjoy it. No, it's awful. I hate being out. I hate being hot. I hate sweating. Like I wait for the bus and I'm already like dripping in sweat. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> and um, well, I was born in Pakistan, but I spent majority of my life in the U.S. But my parents recently went back. Uh, we usually go in like the fall winter time, mm. but they went in mid-April to May and they were just like, never again <laughs> i know how that. often do your parents go back to pakistan so i got to go for the first time in 2017 since being born and then we try to go every two years but then you know covid kind yeah. of put a damper on that because then we would have gone like fall of 2021 and then i would have loved to go back with them this time around but it just with my schedule and like everything that I had going on and like an 11 hour time difference it just was not feasible life happens right yeah um, i was very sad <laughs> a lot of people expect us to go every year and we've been yeah. going every two years as well we were supposed to go in august this year and then oh, we gosh. just pushed it to december I really, really want to go back to Pakistan every year, but then I mm. am shit scared of flying. I get a lot of anxiety around that. Yeah. And because of that, I keep postponing my trip and I hate doing that. Yeah. But you know what? December, hopefully, inshallah, I'm really excited this time. It's just like a daunting trip regardless, right? Just like 14 and a half hours to get to the Middle East and then going through all the security and then like then going to Pakistan. It's just a journey for anyone. And then the way back is awful. And then like, you know, I fly to Dallas because that's where my parents yeah. are. And so then when we're back in Dallas from the trip, it's like, OK, well, I still have to go back to Austin. Right. <laughs> so it's just so much. Absolutely. Yeah, I have so many questions for you. I am listening to your podcast, Partition. I've listened to the first, I think, three episodes. So mm -hmm. I haven't really listened to the entire series, which I'm really excited to listen to. And then about your film, different creative outlets that you're exploring. We'll start yeah. with funding for your film. So you were able to get funding. Yes. What is this film about? How much can you share with us? Um, I can share a lot, actually. You know, this isn't made by a studio. It's made by me. So <laughs> there's no like <laughs> gag order in what I can say. You know, I've always been in film um, to some capacity. Like even if I was doing other jobs, I was always like writing about it or, you know, I studied it in school. I studied film and journalism at UT Austin. And I had always been like a, like a film critic, kind of film journalist, like covering events and stuff. And it was like a couple of years back where I'm like, well, I kind of want to explore writing my own things because all the things I did in school was very much for like the criticism and analysis mm. part of film. But then like I did a degree audit and I only needed like I think three or four classes to get my film degree. So then like I ended up like going back and that's when I kind of started taking like producing and narrative production and screenwriting and, and stuff. And so then I was doing that kind of just like on the side for fun, like, you know, not really just kind of practicing and just trying to like write down any stories. And then I've worked at a bunch of film festivals festivals and you know unfortunately like many like lost my job during like March 2020 and I think that was really like a silver lining for people like people kind of found out like their worth and like right. their time and like what they value and how people treat them and and then you know that's kind of when I really started taking a deep dive into like things I had written before but hadn't really touched since then and in the spring I believe it 2022 um, I got into this South Asian writers workshop called Rickshaw, uh, which is mm. great. And so then I started working on this short script, um, which is what I'm going to be filming in actually two weeks from today. You know, the stories and things that I like are like romantic comedies, romantic dramedies, um, slice of life stories and you know, where you just kind of get a glimpse into someone's life. And, you know, that starts with the mundane, the complex, just like the randomness, you know, that is life. And like things that I love are like, you know, normal people and master of none and like the before sunset and before sunrise films from Richard Linklater. But, you know, they're never really told 
too much from a BIPOC perspective. It's right. usually white people who have those narratives. And, you know, the majority of the stories that are about minorities tend to deal with our trauma mm. or oppression. And like those things are obviously very important, right? Like I did a whole podcast about partition and its relation to me and, and my family. But, you know, there's so much more to us than that. Like we do deal with all these other things, right? I just kind of wanted to write about our relationship kind of changing over time. And the film is called So That Happened. It's a short film. And it is um, about two characters named Sheila and Imran, who are family friends, went to college, had some kind of experience with each other, but then just kind of fell off. And so then she gets like a phone call from her mom and... You know, she's like, hey, like Imran's moving back. Like you should like hang out with him, like show him around. Right. Like any like Muslim immigrant mom would tell you. <laughs> right. Like. And so she's like, you know, fine. They meet up and they kind of talk about like where they are in life and how the city of Austin has changed. I kind of use like the the gentrification of the city as like a passage of time. Mm. You know how the population has grown, have certain other populations have dwindled because of like rising costs and things like that. But yeah, I just I wanted to write a story about two South Asian characters who are just living their life. And I feel like people can resonate with these characters in the story no matter how you choose to identify in terms of race or gender or sexual orientation. I call it like a romantic dramedy slice of life story. And yeah, that's so exciting, Neha. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about your podcast, Partition. As I said, I've been listening to it and I have so many mixed emotions and feelings. I grew up in Pakistan with a singular narrative of why Partition was so important, almost a matter of survival for Muslims. And I've never questioned the notion of division itself. But as I was listening to the podcast, I realized the podcast is not as much about merits and demerits of partition. It's about human suffering and mm -hmm. survivor events and where do we go from here? And I really encourage listeners to listen to Partition to contextualize what Neha and I are talking about. But talk to me about the process. How did this podcast come about? I know you were in Pakistan in 2017. Mm -hmm. You saw this interactive installation called Home 1947. And that's what triggered this process. Yeah, I think it's more about kind of reconciling with these feelings and because it happened, right? There was a lot of guilty parties and like we can like obviously talk until we're blue in the face about merits and demerits, but it was just like it's happened. Like there's no like, there's no going <laughs> back now. I wanted to kind of do this with like a lens of discovery because, you know, like I said, like I didn't really know about the details until I went back to Pakistan because like my parents didn't really talk about it. We didn't learn about it in school. You know, when I talk about my education, like my education was fine, but like it was done in Texas, which I feel like is another story within itself. And like, you know, there's all of this like silencing of, yeah. of certain histories and like critical race theory. And it's just like, you know, they want to push their own narrative. And anytime I heard about colonization or like British India, it was always in the context of Gandhi and like what he did and like how he's a pacifist, but never really like the nitty gritty about it. And, you know, I always knew that Pakistan was a part of India, but it, it wasn't until like seeing these stories and hearing these stories and like seeing objects from people and and stuff that it really was like, wow, like this was like an actual like big thing. I just never really knew about it. And like, you know, in the podcast, I talk about how we're in like the food court in a Karachi mall asking my parents like, you need to tell me what this is all about. And it's just like crazy because we're eating like KFC and we're just having this like serious conversation. Um, and that's kind of where like the interest started. And, you know, there isn't too many media or or much of anything really about partition that's in like the mainstream, right? Like if you dig for it, you'll find it. Like you'll find so many books, like you'll find texts and, you know, and things like that. But you know, the things that are in the mainstream were like the film Gandhi, which is awful. And uh, I don't even remember watching it. I'm 
probably watched it, but I don't remember the film. Yeah, I had never watched it until I wanted to talk about it for the podcast. So in like the eighth episode, I talk about media and partition. And, you know, we talk about Gandhi. And another example was uh, this Doctor Who episode that I, I know I don't watch Doctor Who. I can't tell you much about it. But there was an episode where they travel back to partition and it's huh. it's very interesting because it's about the people it actually affected and not like told from like the british perspective yeah there wasn't really anything and during like again this like covid time i was like i think this could be like a interesting like limited drama series like it wasn't you know commissioned by anyone but i was like let me try to do it but there's just so much. Like, there's just so there's much about so partition. There's, much. I didn't know where to start. And I don't know, fate, I don't know, happenstance. Like, I saw that iHeartRadio was doing a program for underrepresented voices in the podcasting world. And, like, you could pitch your idea. And they would, it was a fellowship. And they kind of gave you, like, a boot camp on, like, how to create a podcast. And I pitched this idea and I ended up getting selected. And so I was like, cool, I am getting paid, which is always nice. (laughs) And I can actually do this research. And, you know, I thought like this would make a great podcast at the end of the program, which was like five or six months. I think I kind of ended like January of 2022, where we created three episodes. And I think the beginning of the program, like they were only going to select a few of us to get picked up by the network. But then random to me, but I'm sure very strategic on their ends, like Toyota came in and wanted to sponsor all of our podcasts. So we all got picked up, which was great. Amazing. And so I launched the podcast on the 75th anniversary of Partition, August 15th, which, you know, coming up pretty soon. And I remember I I didn't interview this person for the show, but I did talk to them just kind of preliminary. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Nisad Hajari, who wrote a book about Partition called Midnight's Furies. And I talked to him about it and I was just kind of talking about the podcast and like what I was doing. And, you know, he gave me very valuable advice, which I guess like could appear to be common sense, but it it's very valuable where he was just like, you can't cover everything. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to pick certain things that interest you or that you are moved by and talk about them. And I was like, that makes sense. But also like, yes, that's very <laughs> important to note. So I just was like, okay, well, I want to talk about history. I want to interview my relatives. I want to talk about how it's taught in schools or lack thereof. I want to talk to historians. I want to talk to people who are trying to note this history. So not only like historians in the main sense, but also people who are doing oral histories and and things like that, um, collecting these stories, putting them on YouTube, families who have been separated. And actually, like when I first kind of started working in the fellowship, I was like, I don't want to have a, a show where it has a bias, right? I just kind of want to tell the facts and just that be it because everything has a bias, right? And like the majority of the stories we hear about partition tend to be from people who are Indian and not so much about Muslims or Pakistanis or other South Asians who have moved to other parts like in Africa or like Sri Lanka or like all these other places that are not India or Pakistan. But that just did not work out (laughs) because it's just like, this is something that affects me every day. It affects my family. It plays such a role in my life. And I'm just like, I can't really ignore that. Neha, talk to me about how it impacts you and your family. And before I let you answer that, I just want to preface it by you did talk to your family members in this podcast, right? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I was born in Pakistan. It took like 25 years for me to become a U.S. citizen. Uh, So 2016 uh, presidential election was the first time I could vote. So that was a great time. (laughs) Like, I just kind of never knew my parents were like, oh, like, you can't go to India. And I'm like, what? Like, why? <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, this is why. And, you know, I think about my, you know, we're all of Indian descent, right? Like everybody right. in my family, minus my parents and my sister and myself, 
were born in India. Like we were born in Pakistan, but that obviously used to be India. And so I just think about like my the journey that my grandparents took. They weren't together at the time, right? Like they were teenagers or younger. And I'm just like, you never get to go back to the place that was your home because mm. you had to move to Pakistan because you were Muslim. And I just also think about like people who decided to stay, right? Like they're like, this is my home. I'm not going to leave. This is such an important point because I'm almost uh, embarrassed to say this, but I didn't know that 35 million Muslims stayed back. Mm -hmm. 14 to 15 million did the migration, but there was a huge, mm -hmm. a large chunk that decided for different reasons, whether they did not want to forfeit their property or severed ties with their family members, mm -hmm. or they did not even care for the politics of it all. Right. They stayed back. I didn't know the number was that large. Yeah, it's it's truly crazy. And it's just like, what if my grandparents did stay? You know, like, would they be married to the same people who they are today? Like, all these, like, what if questions. And I'm like, yeah, like, what would I be? Like, would I be talking about partition from a whole different perspective because I, regardless of being Muslim, like I am Indian, like, you know, like what would that have changed? You know, it's just like so interesting to kind of see how different our lives are. You know, I have so many friends who are South Asian, so many friends who are from India and like they decide that they want to get married in India. And I'm like, cool, I'll see the pictures, <laughs> you know, like, um, and my dad's like, well, maybe because you are young and like you have a U.S. passport now that it might be uh, a little less difficult to get a visa there. But I mean, I haven't tried, but it's just like when I hear about all these stories, like the few people that have gotten visas to each other's countries from being from the opposite have all been for like academic purposes. Um, you know, it will surprise you that getting Indian visa in Pakistan is easier than getting Indian visa in the U.S. No, that's shocking. <laughs> yeah, that is so crazy because in Pakistan, you have contacts and they'll make it happen True, and it's yeah. easier. But in the U.S., I remember my husband applied and he had to go for work and he didn't get it the first time. So it's ironic, right? Yeah, there's so many barriers. Like I know like my uncle... Uh, again, like born in Pakistan, like grew up there and he ended up having to go to India for work and he had to renounce his Pakistani citizenship so he could go. Yeah, you have to do that. And that is so crazy to me. And maybe it's not a big deal for some people and or like they don't put the same connotations as I might be putting on like that's like where you're from. But I'm like, you had to give up like where you come from and to go for a work trip. Like, that's just so crazy to me. Like, that's how, like, nebulous it gets. <laughs> like, And it's just, I'm like, why does this matter? <laughs> so talk to me about reconciliation and healing, because in one of your episodes, you do talk about shared pain and suffering, right? There are these physical barriers in terms of having those boundaries, which is fine. We've reconciled with that. But then there are psychological barriers on both sides, right? I will watch Hindi cinema and I'll get so excited watching mm -hmm. Shah Rukh Khan and all these <laughs> actors. But then something will trigger that sense of nationalism. Right. Um, and it happens on both sides. It happens within diaspora, although we are disconnected from environmental, cultural, social, religious stresses that mm -hmm. people in India and Pakistan face. What do you think reconciliation or healing looks like for both sides, Neha, through what you've learned? I think it's just like coming to terms that, yes, like we were dealt a horrible hand from the British, but it was also like our leaders. There's so many responsible parties and it's just like this is something that was done to us. Right. We're all like cut from the same cloth, but like we're just kind of still fighting this war that. You know, it's just like there are still people who have been separated from their families. Like I interviewed two brothers who miraculously found each other because of like a YouTube 
interview Mm. and they met Mm. at a border and they only got to see each other because this particular border was a visa free crossing because there is a Sikh temple. And that's how they got to see each other after like 74 years. And now they both received visas to visit each other. We went to like the, the Waga border ceremony when I went to Lahore in 2019. And I was like, this is so interesting to me because it's supposed to signify all these things like rivalry and things, but then also like brotherhood and and stuff. But I'm like, you can't talk about brotherhood and camaraderie and like all of these things when, you know, you're making it so difficult for the other to visit each other's countries. Right. You know, I remember even taking a picture. They had these little statues that were all around Pakistan, like monuments, and they had like little miniatures. And I was walking towards it to take a picture. And literally, like, I was very, very far away from like the gate. <laughs> and like, I was very close to like the entrance of where I came. But then, like, a, an army officer, I, I'm assume is an army officer, was just like, What are you doing? And I'm like, taking a picture like I was like there's no way I could have done anything like jump the fence or do anything like that and I think about these like flag wars that they had where like India put up a flag at this like stadium where the ceremony takes place and then Pakistan put like a bigger flag up that's like 50 feet higher and like when my dad told me this I thought he was joking I'm like this this can't be like a real thing and then like I look it up and it's completely true (laughs) there's so many things happening and like this is what we're wasting like time and energy on like a dick measuring contest with flags i'm like this is not good (laughs) this episode is sponsored by better health we talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and the importance of caring for yourself In fact, we dedicated an entire season to it. And there are so many different ways to do that, whether through meditation or getting a massage, even trying some yummy ice cream flavors. But let's be honest, ice cream can only go so far and sometimes you need to connect with someone. I've been open about the fact that therapy has greatly helped me manage my anxiety. So if you've been struggling with stress, anxiety, or want to learn effective preventative tools, BetterHelp might be for you. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just complete a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. How amazing is that? Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash immigrantly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash immigrantly. When I think of partition beyond the politics of it all, right? Whether it was Muhammad Ali Jinnah, Jawaharlal Nehru, Gandhi, I feel like there is so much complexity around what was happening at the time. It's almost impossible or to some extent unfair to either glorify them or villainize them, right? Because a lot of other things were happening at the same time communalism, which had become almost ubiquitous in India by mid-20th century, where Muslims and Hindus were literally drifting apart and they were turning on each other. I sometimes wonder if remnants of that have passed on as trauma through generations. Yeah, these are events that happened, like these are massacres that happened. These are like actual events that happened. But I think it's important to note the way in which people were given information, like in drips and drabs, you know. And I think if like anytime there's a conversation about partition happening, I do think it's important to understand like what this person telling the story went through, but also just we did the best we could do what we thought was right at the time. And like looking back, that's probably not the way it should have been handled. So I think it's just kind of accepting what happened, taking accountability with what happened, and then trying to do better for the future. It's such an important point, because to me, 
every person who took up arms, who murdered their neighbor, who raped their community member, who mutilated somebody, mm-hmm. they are all as complicit and oh, as 100%. responsible, right? Yeah. Uh, because that hatred and resentment has carried on mm-hmm. on both sides. And unfortunately, rather than dying, it's becoming more intense in some ways. But then there are people like you who are doing the groundwork to reorient people on both sides to look at the basic humanity. Mm -hmm. And I do want to talk a little bit about that because on your podcast, you do talk about violence and there is no censorship. And I wonder what do you hope your listeners will take away from that, that unadulterated account of what happened to people on both sides? Yeah, so I think like so much of the narrative that's being peddled is just like independence and not the actual suffering, right? Like we don't have any memorials about partition to my knowledge um, in India or Pakistan. And I know there's some partition museums, but those are privately owned and they're all in India, right? And that creates like another barrier for you and I to ever really go there. And you don't hear about families being separated. It's just like, oh, this is like independence and this is great. And everything's chill. And I'm like, well, no, it's just like, there's still so much like animosity, right? Like think about Kashmir, you think about land disputes and, and just also like, I have an episode where I talk about these like borderlands who are still suffering so much from partition because they live in a certain area, but have to cross land to work. And it's like, they have special visas, but then like at a certain time because of weather, they're unable to cross this river and like they won't build a bridge. And so there's like those repercussions. I'm like, I don't know if anyone's even thinking about those things. Have you ever played out scenarios in your mind, different scenarios about if partition had not happened, if it had not occurred, given what you know about India and Pakistan, at this very moment, in terms of the politics, the culture, the social discourse, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts? I think that's just such a big concept for me to even wrap my head around that if it didn't happen, what kind of would everything be? I don't know. I feel like it's like one of those things that if I think about it too much, I'll get like a headache and I'm like, I can't like think about this. But I, it's something that I've like that's like crossed my mind, but it hasn't been something I've given a lot of like time and to really just like think through and process if that is actually something that happened. I have thought about it. And my conclusion is it happened in a messy, irresponsible, almost clumsily executed Mm -hmm. way. Oh, yes. Yeah. But it happened. And I honestly don't have an answer one way or the other, whether had partition not happened, situation would have been better or worse. We have to move past the question of why it happened or had it not happened, what would have happened and move on to how do we heal from it? Yeah. And I often think about like, what if like partition happened, but if things panned out differently, like what if they didn't have five weeks to create a boundary? Right. What if they actually considered like land and resources when dividing a country? Exactly. What if they moved up the date, right, to when like the actual partition was going to happen? I'm just like, what if they actually took time and talked to people? I feel like that's what I end up thinking about. What if they really did take the time and talk to people? And from my understanding, there was like a council where they had like an advisory committee. But at the end of the day, he was still just going to do what he was going to do. It's not like you went door to door and asked. You're right. There were so many different scenarios, so many different factors that were playing out at the time. It's almost impossible to blame one person, one yeah. individual, one organization. It's as if everybody in some way, form or shape were complicit in how it turned right, out. Right, right. It's just not the British. I mean, I feel like they were the majority responsible. But again, it was it was also Jinnah. It was Nehru. It was all of them. They're all complicit. The interesting thing is British, through their divide and rule policy, were pretty much able to re 
recalibrate the society itself from what it was pre-colonialism, right? Mm-hmm. So pre-colonialism, yes, Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, Christians were living together. Right. They were coexisting. But that had completely changed by mid-20th century. Yeah. Which is an added layer of complexity, right? Because right. people were turning on each other. It was not the same community anymore. Mm-hmm. They had lived through a century-long communal divisions. And it was like as if the whole idea of community had changed by mid-20th century. Right. I do want to talk a little bit about your own identity and how you grappled with it growing up in the U.S. And as I was listening to your podcast, you talk about how growing up, you weren't as connected to it until you went to UT Austin. Mm -hmm. And there you found this sense of community and you started exploration of your own identity. Talk to me a little bit about What part of those moments of connection influenced you or informed you in terms of your identity? And what are we lacking in American elementary, middle school, high school education that doesn't let people from, especially kids from BIPOC communities, connect with their own identities? We just don't study histories of of so many people like they just like ignored or they're just like glossed over and I'm like those things are important I feel like we're kind of like alienated like I was 11 when 9-11 happened like I was in the sixth grade and so like my life drastically changed like I'm Muslim I was born in Pakistan like I have a weird name according to like other children you know and then it was just like terrorism I remember like I would go to like kind of like religious classes on Saturday where you learn about like history and you work on activities and like and things like that and I remember like someone's like oh is that where you learn how to make bombs and I'm like I'm not talking to you ever again and it was just like okay what the actual fuck yeah and it was just like things like that and or like you know even something as and I've seen this so many times portrayed in film and it's so true where it's like you know your lunches aren't like PB and J's they'll give you like kebabs or whatever right yeah our lunches are more flavorful yeah and I also didn't grow up in an incredibly diverse school I grew up in Arlington Texas outside of Dallas and like Dallas for sure has a lot of South Asians but in this particular city at this time I don't think it was too common so I felt like I was already like an outsider and then like skin is darker and you know you look different your name is different and and like no one knows how to say your name and they don't really take the time to ask you like how you say your name they're just like oh whatever it's just like okay I think it's just kind of like distancing myself like yeah like I'm not really seeing people of my community here and and even though I would see them like in those classes I would go to on the weekends and like in our like religious services and stuff it was still kind of other there too because it's like a lot of them went to the same school and like grew up in the same neighborhoods and I wasn't so I was already like separate from them and so I didn't like see them all the time Mm -hmm. right so there was like also like that so I felt like I was just kind of like like I feel a little outside here and I feel a little outside in school and I wasn't really taking pride in where I was coming from or like traditions or or anything because like people just made fun of you right because they just don't understand and that's just like the default and then like you know I went to college and I went to college at UT Austin there's a lot of South Asians at UT Austin so I'm like okay like I know I was like there's other people like here there's so many groups so many organizations so many cultures and it's just like again like growing up in the south like anything that's not conventional or white is just kind of like that's weird right obviously that's Mm. not true but that again like growing up in the south being different is uh, a challenge, right? Because there's like certain ideals that people uphold or like who should be allowed to live here and things like that. But yeah, it's like when I saw other people who looked like me like all the time, even now, like you see yourself in spaces and it's like, oh, like I'm like, how many people of color are in here? How many women are in here? I still do that. I mean, sometimes it was because I mean, I say journalism, there weren't that many minorities in journalism (laughs) but uh I'm just not good at math and science (laughs) but like you know there was communities there and it was just like everyone was like minding their own business like it didn't like matter and that's what people should do forever is mind their own business so now what do you think American education system at least until high school lacks 
and what tools could they give students, especially from BIPOC communities, so that they feel more at home? I think just having a well-rounded education, right? Like we don't need to spend like three months on like the British monarchy, right? Like we need to talk about other things. Like, and I think it's also like accountability, right? Like all of these places and people, like they all like rose to power because of minorities, because of of black people or brown people or other people who did all of the work <laughs> while they like, you know, reap the riches. And so I think this is history and this happened, but let's not lose sight of how these people got here or right. things like that. Like just having a more well-rounded education or make it equitable. Don't spend three months on like the British monarchy and Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn and then spend like one week learning about partition. I'm like a new country was made that changes things politically, geographically. And y'all didn't think that was an important thing to spend time <laughs> on. Like, that's just so yeah. crazy to me. Or even like, you know, my nani lives in Dhaka. And so like, you know, she dealt with liberation where my parents were alive at that time. My mom was 11. Her birthday is actually today. Um, oh, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, where's that history? And that's another thing that I actually do want to explore because as we talk about getting rid of this othering, making things more equitable, this is on Pakistan. Like what happened? Right. Yeah. I was like, we can't yeah. blame the British here. I was just like, if you're going to call out injustices in other communities, you have to do them in your own. We're the bad guys in this situation. And it in was Bangladesh's awful. case, absolutely. Yes. And I'm absolutely. like, that's another thing I another really want podcast? to explore. Uh, I would love to. Yes, that is something I want to do. But there's a lot of a lot of factors in that. And my mom actually just went to Dhaka in the fall. Uh, sadly, I couldn't come with her because she literally went during like the last like three episodes of when my show was coming out. And I'm like, I, I can't go with you. I would have loved to because I've never been. But they have a museum. They have memorials like they have things that actually mark like the violence that happened and not just like, oh, yeah, we became Bangladesh and like we're our own country. And like, no, like. You have to talk about these things, right? You have to have tough conversations. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, they're uncomfortable. And like, yeah, like it's not great. But it's just like you have to own up to what happened, regardless of whatever is in the present might be a good thing or whatever. And like, it's just like you have to talk about like how it happened. Right. And you right. have to take responsibility. I'm just like the violence against people from Bangladesh at the hands of Pakistanis is a fact. Right. And like, mm. we can't just ignore mm. that just because we went through our own thing like 20 years before or 30 years before. Exactly. And yeah, that's really something I want to take a deep dive to, because if people don't really know about partition, they definitely don't know about 1971. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even people in Pakistan, because I was born after that. So I, I I'm trying to think if we ever read about Bangladesh and the partition that happened. Very, very little. Yeah, I feel like when little. I asked my dad, like what he learned about in school, like they just blamed like in terms of partition, like they just blamed India. They're like, oh, it's their fault. And like, you know, you go to school in India and they're like, oh, it's Pakistan's fault. And I'm like, no, it's everyone's fault. And this is how we can figure <laughs> out like how to deal with it and move on but yeah it's just like yeah definitely something I really want to like take a deep dive into because I do mention it a couple of times during the show but I don't really talk about it in too much detail because it is a story that is again very complex but also deserves its own time so Neha we've talked about some serious shit right let's end this on hope you wrote this letter in Medium. It was called An Open Letter from My Hope. Oh, yes. And that was about Muslim diaspora in the U.S., mm -hmm. Muslim community in the U.S., how people need to see our humanity beyond the binary or the one-dimensional narratives that we see right. around Muslim identity. And given all that you've done so far, you've launched a podcast, you're working on a film. I just want to know how you contextualize hope in 2023 versus 2017. Yeah, I was like thinking, I was like, when did I write that? And I think it was like December 2016. <laughs> 
you know, sometimes it's really hard, right? And I think it's just like, even for me, like, I have a lot of anxiety, like that's something I deal with. And, you know, I feel like externally, like, I'm just like very loud, like, you know, kind of like joyous person, but inside, I'm just like, I'm dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or just like, I'm a realist where I'm just like, I'll get into a conversation with somebody and then it ends with like, healthcare is a scam, right? Like, cause I'm like, it is. <laughs> it is in the US, it is. Yeah. Cause I'm a freelancer and like the amount of money I pay for my health insurance is insane. But I think it's just like, like we have all of these things and we need to acknowledge them, right? Unfortunately, I think sometimes we go numb because there is so much bad, but I do think there are like positive things. I think about people who are making changes like Nicole Hannah-Jones with her 1619 project. It was a podcast that got turned into a book and a children's book and is now like an Emmy nominated docu-series, right? I was just like, there's people doing the work. Like that's kind of what I want to focus on is like even these strikes that are happening, right? Like corporate greed is so insane. And just like the out of touch comments made by CEOs of like what actors and writers are demanding. It's just like, yeah, it sucks that they can't work. But if they need to not work to make things more equitable and better, then that's inspiring, right? It's just like these people are fighting for what they think Mm. is right. And it's just funny to me because it's not even like we also want to be millionaires. We just want (laughs) to like live in LA or New York or what have you and like not buy a cup of coffee and then worry about our bank account. (laughs) I was like, so I was like, that's inspiring. And then it's also just people making films and, and just like, hearing people talk about why they want to make things right and people doing like volunteer work or whatever like people trying to do like some little thing Mm -hmm. that can make such a big impact on others I think is like what I like to focus on like I said like I program films and I see films where I'm just like oh this is like a first time South Asian director like this is amazing and like they did this and like and they can have a platform now for more people to see their film like that's inspiring right so I think it's just like we don't need to ignore like all the bad stuff we definitely need to like understand that and reckon with it and deal with it but I was like there are like little pockets of hope right like I'm making this film and it's a slice of life story between two South Asians and like that's not too seen before and also with this film like I wanted to portray people of different body types right like I'm not a size two you know I'm definitely on like the chubby plus size fat body type and it's like we don't see those characters like if we do see them they're white and they also have to just deal with their weight and I'm like yeah like my weight is like yeah something I think about like anybody else but I'm not like going out to the movies and like having a panic attack about my body (laughs) like that's not what's happening and I wanted to cast people for different beauty standards, just like I wanted to cast like plus size South Asian woman in this role. And so like, that's always nice too. like visibility across different platforms mm. is also just really important. Right. And it's just like, you know, I even look at shows that I love, like I love Never Have I Ever from Mindy Kaling. And there's so much inclusivity with that show, but they're all very thin. Right. Like we don't see different body types like and, and the main characters right like we see different sexualities and and mm-hmm. different identities and all of that is amazing but it's just like you also like not every high schooler looks like that I certainly did You're not you know right. so I absolutely. think it's also just like you know like as much as like terrified I am about making this film I'm also like very excited but I think it's just like anytime you just see like simple representation is just like nice someone that you can identify with and resonate with regardless of I can watch a film like call me by your name and like resonate with those characters. Like I don't need to be a gay man to, (laughs) to resonate with that. These are feelings. And I think that's something that people forget when they tend to see people who aren't white at the forefront. They're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this isn't for me. Like this is for like Brown people. And I'm like, no, it's for everyone. (laughs) And so I think like, that's nice. It's just kind of seeing more of that everything still is a crapshoot like let's be real but at least this is nice (laughs) at least this is like at least there's people trying to do things to make the world better and that's a better place yeah a more humane place neha in the end if you were to describe america in a word or a sentence how would you do that oxymoron I think (laughs) I thought about this yesterday. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> Why oxymoron? I think it's just like, right, like the United States is thought about like this like land of opportunity and land of dreams and, and things like that. But then like, you know, you come here and it's like, I think people really forget that the U.S. is made of immigrants and immigrants come from different places besides Europe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think, you know, like I think about my family and how they struggled, right? Like I didn't have a bed for like a really long time, like until like I, I like slept in my parents' bed. People just think that certain things are like you just get them because you're American. People don't think about like the actual like privilege that means and like all of those things. Like people think of like, oh, immigrants and taking our jobs or people not doing this. And I'm just like, do you know how hard it is to become a U.S. citizen? Do you know how long yeah. you have to be here to even apply oh for your gosh. green card? I was like, there's like so many things that they just don't understand, right? This is supposed to be a land of hope and opportunity and new beginnings. And like, yeah, for some people, like, you know, that success comes more easily, right? Like I have a lot of friends who were born here whose parents went to like a graduate school here, like med school and stuff. That was not the case with my parents. My parents came here with two kids, eight suitcases. My mom worked at a jewelry store. My dad worked at a convenience store. Like they have different lives now and are finally in a comfortable place. But I'm like, that's not the dream that they had, right? Like, and I think people just think like these things just like happen when you move here and like not like the work that comes with it. And I think there's just like this disconnect of people who are born here versus people who move here and like how like that makes you less American. I'm like, well, we actually had to like work really hard to be Americans. Like you were just born here. You didn't do anything. <laughs> right. Like it's like I had to I love it. I had to take a, the citizenship test. I had to take like an English proficiency exam. Right. I had to do all of these things to vote. Right. Like you were just given that privilege like I wasn't you know like I couldn't drive or have a job for a long time because of immigration so I think it's just like I think people are like yeah this is like the land of hope and opportunity but like only if you stick to your lane and like don't encroach on what I'm trying to do right so it's Absolutely. like I love it I love it Neha where can people find you on Twitter is there a website they can go yeah, and check your so, work so I mean I'm a little less on Twitter these days because it's just um uh, an awful place more than it was now <laughs> but um you can find me on twitter at nehazis13 um and you can find me on instagram at nehazis you can find my projects um so that happened film on instagram and partition podcast on instagram and 1947 pod on twitter wow what an important conversation I am so glad Neha was able to come on our podcast and share her thoughts. If you liked this episode, guys, give us a thumbs up, five-star review, follow us on our socials, come back next week for another incredible episode. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Bobak Afshari. Our editor for this is Paroma Chakravarti. The editorial review was done by Shay Yu. Our original theme music is by Simon Hutchinson. Until next time, take care.